0: I, how do you say it? I ran into a YouTuber, a YouTube clips, like, a couple of weeks ago. And um, I don't know how, I mean, I was in a rabbit hole, right, as one does. And I, I landed, landed into this channel. And this guy, um, like, his channel is devoted to training men to be alpha males. It's a channel exclusively dedicated to training men how to be alpha males, right? Um, you know, alpha males, confident, right? Um, attractive members of society. So his channel is devoted to, you know, he instructs guys how to dress. He instructs guys how to talk to women, right? He, 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 it's based on his philosophy of confidence. Not only that, his channel is also devoted to Showing off how he is an alpha male. They show you how he works out. They show you how he eats. They show you he shows you what he drives. He shows you where he lives, right? So this whole channel is devoted to his alpha maleness. What made me watch this channel is not because I want to be an alpha male, because you know I already am, but but what. Struck, what attracted me to this particular clip of his channel was he went to the hospital, right? After, you know, Chadwick Boseman, you know, the Black Panther passed away of colon cancer. That spooked him. So he went to the hospital to go to colon cancer, colon cancer di- test, right? And he discovered, he says, that doctors discovered a lot of polyps in his colon. I don't know what polyps are, or I guess these little growths in his colon that could be beginning of colon cancer. And when he discovered that diagnosis, he started to cry, right? In his channel, he started to cry and told us how scared he was. And as, as heartbreaking as watching that clip was, I realized when he's facing death all his philosophy about being an alpha male and all his possessions about his car and his house and his muscular body, all of it in the face of death meant nothing at all. When he was confessing about like the possibility of dying. Everything that he thought that he lived for didn't mean anything. It was clear he lived for perishable things and not eternal things. We are concluding Paul's long discussion about the resurrection Right, we've, spent, we've spent the last seven weeks, I think, on the resurrection. And the final verse of this chapter, verse 58, kind of summarizes, shows the motive of why Paul was going into detail about the resurrection. Verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word therefore in 58 summarizes why he wrote the treatise on resurrection.
1: He's writing
0: these things about the resurrection because he wants the Corinthians to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Paul is saying in the light of the eternity that is waiting for you, how should you live in this world? In the light of the clear teachings of you will be raised again after your death, how will that truth affect the way you live in this world? Paul is saying if you know eternity is waiting for you, that in this short life, be steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable means don't, don't change, be faithful. Do not let the outer difficult circumstances. Compromise the way you live. That's what steadfast and immovable is. He's saying no matter what kind of persecution and hardships may come your way, do not be moved. In the light of obstacles, do not be moved. Be faithful, faithful in what? Abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, if you paraphrase it, I think he means. Don't live in the light of eternity. Don't live for perishable things. Like the, that Alpha guy did. He says, the first, last thing he wrote is, Your work, knowing that, the Lord, that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He's saying, if you work for all the things that you do for the Lord in this world, they will not be in vain. They will matter. They will count. Right? Conversely, all the things that you don't do for him, they are perishable. They will be forgotten. I was thinking about Jeff Bezos. What was he worth? 107 billion dollars? more than that, and his wealth is increasing every day. 107 billion dollars in the light of eternity. It's just perishable money. 107 billion dollars is perishable. It will mean nothing. Can I ask you this morning? Are you living for perishable things? Or imperishable things? What are you focused on? What are your dreams? What do you think your purpose of this life is? I, I know some of you have honestly shared with me, I, you think that the purpose of your life here is to make, to make a secure, security, secure existence for yourself. And I think providing for your family is a, certainly a godly calling. But if your dream is to solely be secure in this world, and everything that you do is, is aimed towards Securing your future in this life. I'm really sorry, with all love and respect, I'm telling you, if your pursuit is only about security, you are living for a perishable reality. You are, I am, if I'm doing that. What are you, What are your? Do you? Do you live for the Lord? That's the question. Look, living for the Lord, obviously, it's serving His body. That's really important. But living for the Lord is more than what you do for the body, which is a really important fact. Even the way you work, you can live for the Lord. Do you know that? Look, last November, for those of you online wouldn't know, I was severely distraught because I thought I made a huge mistake in massive filings that I had to do for work. Right? I was so distraught that a couple, of, a couple of good brothers and sisters comforted me. Oh, I love them for comforting me. Some of them bought me dinner, bought me lunch. It was wonderful, but I was distraught. A few months later, I was okay. Those forms, even though they should, they should have been those, the thing that I feared most should logically have happened, they didn't happen. In fact, they all got, they all got you know, they all got processed. And I cannot explain, and even my paralegal who's working with me in these cases, she's not a believer, says it's a miracle that these cases are being processed. And I'm telling you, the reason I think it's processed, it's all God, right? And the only reason that I could explain why these things, why God is keeping work in my life, especially my lawyer job, is because by his grace, I look to him every morning. And he's making me realize that doing this lawyer thing is his work. When you have a mentality of living for the Lord, working for the Lord, I promise you, you're going to start, start to see him move. You will. But if he is absent and invisible in the everyday affairs of your life, it is maybe, it is because you are not living for him. You're living for perishable things. Paul says, in the light of eternity, do not invest your life in perishable things. Because the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is imperishable, and perishable things have no place in the kingdom of God. Verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this. Brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is talking about like, our physical bodies. Flesh and blood is the body that we have right now as a result of our connection with Adam. Paul is saying, flesh and blood, if you just have this, perish, like, this flesh and blood, blood body, you will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God, which is, which is eternal, right? The kingdom of God is imperishable. We are perishable. Therefore, what our substance as we are right now is completely different from the substance of the eternal kingdom of God. Like we talked about last week, what we are right now, we, have, we live in a perishable body right? It's decaying, right? right? Our, our cells are not gen- regenerating as freshly as they used to be. We are in decay. But Paul is saying the kingdom of God is imperishable. The kingdom of God and what we are right now are two different substances. Therefore, perishable people cannot inherit the kingdom, of, the eternal kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. In order for us to inherit the kingdom of God, we need to become imperishable. Like, and, and Jesus kind of talks about this in the parable of the, parable of the what, what do you call it? The parable of, oh, it's the parable of the wedding garment. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 13, 11 to 13, Jesus is, talking about, making, is teaching about the kingdom of God. And he's, he, and he's using a parable to describe what the kingdom of God is. And the parable that he used to describe in Matthew 11, Matthew 22 goes like this. He says, suppose a king threw a banquet, right? And because, and because the people that he invited didn't come, his servants went out to the streets and invited everyone to come to the king's banquet. So everyone in the street came to the king's palace and they were participating in the banquet. The king, comes, come, the king comes go comes at a banquet and he looks at the people in the banquet. He, he looks at one guy, and the guy wasn't wearing a garment, like he wasn't wearing, you know, a banquet suitable clothes. I guess he was wearing, you know, a street clothes as opposed to, you know, you know, like tuxedo or something. Because what this guest was wearing was Inappropriate for the banquet. The king has this guest thrown out because what he's is wearing is inappropriate, incompatible to the event. Do you understand? Jesus is, through this parable, Jesus is teaching you can only inherit the kingdom if you have a similar substance to what the kingdom of God is. Our present condition right now is not suitable to inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, we need to become imperishable to inherit the kingdom. Are you with me so far? I'm so proud of you. Man, I thought I was going to lose you. The question is, when does that work for us to become imperishable start? 1 Corinthians 15, we talk, Paul talks about in the future, right? We will, we, will, we, will, we will die and we will be raised imperishable. That is true. Our imperishable state, our spir- imperishable spiritual bodies will wait for us in the future. But the process of becoming imperishable doesn't start in the kingdom of God. The process of becoming imperishable starts in this world right now. Our process of becoming imperishable, it will be fully complete when Christ returns. But the process of our immortality starts in this world. One of the main purposes of this life, it is so that men and women, right, can start to become imperishable. When, how, does, how do you become, how does the process of immortality start in this world? You have to be born again. That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3, verse 5. John chapter 3, verse 5. Put it, put it, hit it, Joe. Yes, we're in sync today. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is talking to a Jewish Jewish teacher named uh, Nicodemus. And they are talking about the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Jesus is saying, in order for you and I to inherit the imperishable kingdom of God, we need to be born again. We need to be born of the Spirit. Because the flesh that we have right now is not suitable for the kingdom of God. You need to be born again. You need to be cleansed. You need to be born of water. Born of water means you need your sins to be cleansed. Sinners cannot inherit the eternal holy kingdom of God. Therefore, your sins have to be cleansed. Thus, a born of water means the need for cleansing of sins. How are your sins cleansed? through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are cleansed. You need to have faith that what he did on the cross was so that your sins will be cleansed. Not only that, Jesus says, unless you not only must you be born of water, you must be born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit for you to be born again, the Holy Spirit has to come into your life, come into your soul and radically transform your nature. In Adam, we are born with a certain nature. All of us are born with a certain orientation. And that orientation is pride and selfishness. We interpret everything through the way we want it to. That's our orientation. Every single human being that is born is born with this natural orient, oriented nature where everything is about us and our interpretation. But when the Holy Spirit, when you are born of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and and, and changes your nature so that you and I will no longer be about ourselves but be, but about God. Our natural nature is about us when you're born of the Holy Spirit, he takes, and he takes and He changes your nature so that your nature will be about God. That's what it means to be born again. When the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit changes your nature by testifying to your mind the truth of the gospel... And when the Holy Spirit changes your nature about the truth of the gospel, you will have a better, clear personal understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and who are who you are in Him. It's a radical, natural changing transformation. It is only these people who have gone to this natural-changing born-again event. It is these people who inherit The eternal kingdom of God. It is these people who will be changed to to, to, who will be changed to to immortality. Does that make sense? I'm so proud of you. I was was, was free. I was going to lose you today. And the Corinthians knew firsthand what it means to be born again. What it means to be cleansed of their sins. What it means to have this radical. Or like nature change that like you know orientation changing reality in their lives. The Corinthians knew this. Let's go. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven. Hit it, Joe. Once again, first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven. Hit it, Joe. There you go. All right, perhaps this is the part that's gonna get me fired next week. Let's read verse Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Paul says, "Do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not I'm sorry. Do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards," nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of god and such were some of you but you were washed but and but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of our lord jesus and by the spirit of our god here paul is talking about the people who will not inherit the kingdom of god and he gives you a long list of the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do all the people in this list have in common? They are led by appetites. They're fleshly appetites, right? Whether you are a fornicator, which means having premarital sex, whether you are an adulterer, having sex with someone that is not your spouse, whether you are a homosexual, you know, like having relations with, with the same gender, right? Whether you're a drunkard, all of it, you live this way. They live this way because they're led by their appetites. They're led by their flesh. Or they are led by the perishable treasures of life, right? The thieves steal because they want certain things. Covetousness, you hate people because they have something that you want. Extortioners, right? You lie to get money. So these people are not only led by their appetites, but but they're led by things of this life. These appetites, Paul is saying, shows that they are not going to be inheritors of the kingdom of God because their apt because they're controlled by what they, what they feel and what they want now. That's how they're led. These people are led by the flesh, by the perishable treasures. Therefore, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, Corinthians, some of you were like them once. Some of you were led by your appetites. Some of you were led by the things of this life, the things of this world. You were exactly like you were once people who were not destined to inherit the kingdom of God. But what happened to the Corinthians? They were washed by the blood of Christ. They were were sanctified. They were justified in the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit came and changed their nature and therefore they no longer live guided by their flesh. They no longer live for the treasures of life. They are guided by the living presence of God in their lives. The Holy Spirit changed their appetites. That's how you know they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's how you know they're going to be immortal. Their appetites. What does your appetite tell you about what, where your treasure is? Where do, if your appetite is primarily guided by what you feel, what you want, what you see, if your life is dictated by that retirement plan in Florida, if it's solely based on your position in this world, and if the kingdom of God is of no interest to you, that certainly reveals things about us, doesn't it? How do you know that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? How do you know that you're going to be changed? The more you live, The things of the world start to matter less. And the things of God start to matter more. That's a good indication whether you will have immortality. What's that song goes? And the things of the world will go strangely dim in the light of your marvelous grace. I don't know what the song... How the song is, but it's true I know young people right now But the nature of you being young you, you want, want the world, world right but when the Holy Spirit works in your life the things of the world will start to go dim and the hope of eternity will start to become a more reality that's a good sign of where you're heading the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable if we are born again the process of our immortality has started are you are you born with water and by the spirit this morning Has the Holy Spirit changed your nature and your appetites? Or are you still gripping on the things of this life? Verse 51 to 58, 57, Paul is describing what is going to happen when the Lord returns. Verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So Paul is talking about, in verse 51, Paul is talking about people who will not die when the Lord returns. Right? Um, Once again, in verse 51, Paul calls the death of a Christian sleep. For the Christian, death, It's not eternal. It is merely you fall asleep and you wake up. I think Alistair Beck gives a a good example. Alistair Beck says, you know, when he was a kid, he used to travel with his mom, right? In Glasgow, he was raised in Glasgow, right? And therefore, it's very cold there. And oftentimes, when he would take the bus with his mom at night, he would fall asleep, right, in the bus because it's warm. And when he wakes up, he didn't know how he got there, but he was in his bed. He fell asleep in the bus. He woke up in his bedroom. Althur says, that's the process of death for the Christian. You will fall asleep. And in a moment, you'll get up. And you'll be with God. if I die serving here, right, do not feel bad for me in my death. Because I believe I'll be more awake than I ever was after my death. Death is but a sleep to a Christian. Paul in verse 51 says, there are people who will not fall asleep when the Lord returns. What's going to happen to them? Maybe the Lord's going to return tomorrow. What's going to happen to us for those of us who are not asleep yet? Paul says, we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, right? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Paul is saying when the Lord returns, a trumpet will sound. Bum and those who are alive will be changed. in a twinkling of an eye. You know what a twinkling of an eye is? It's like a blink of an eye. How fast, how fast is a blink? That, you know, blink of an eye when the trumpet sounds. People who are alive when the Lord returns, they'll be instantaneously changed to their mortal bodies. When Jesus comes, it's going to be Instantaneous. You're not going to have time to just kind of think about, you know, all the bad things that you have done except Christ when he returns. That's not how it's going to go. He's not going to give you a time to ponder whether you're saved or not when he returns. The time to ponder and repent is now. It's not the time when he returns. You have to understand that. Some people say, oh, well, I'll repent when Jesus comes back, then I'll say that I'm sorry. right? I'll live the way that I want to live, but when he comes back, I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to apologize then. That's not how it works, Paul says. He's going to come back in an instant, in a blink, a blink of an eye. Things will change. Are you confident that you're going to change if he returns tomorrow? If he returns five minutes from now, Are you confident that you will be changed? Right? Not only will will we change, when he returns, death will finally be vanquished. Right? Verse 50, 55, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 56 is interesting. When he returns, when those who are alive will be changed to the imperishable form, death will finally be vanquished. Death is a great enemy. Death is a great foe. Death costs so much misery in the life of every human being. Right? Where do you hear the sorrowous cries? In hospitals and funeral parlors. Everyone cries. Everyone is in sorrow when people die. Jesus, in John chapter 11, when he heard his friend Lazarus died and when he looked at how people were saddened by his death, Jesus wept. Jesus understood the sadness and the tragedy of death. I think I saw an interview with one of the moms who lost her second grader, six-year-old, seven-year-old in the Sandy Hook shooting. Remember Sandy Hook like six years ago? This, ki- this guy just killed, opened fire on elementary school. And her daughter, her son, got shot and died when he was eight. And the interviewer asked her how she feels and she said this. She says, I understand there are seasons of life. There are seasons of summer where everything's warm. There are seasons of spring where everything's new. And there are seasons of winter when everything's bleak. She said, I know that the rest of my life here will be the season of winter. I will never face summer. I will never experience the seasons of summer and spring in my life here. You will always be winter. Isn't that sad? Death is the enemy. But death will be conquered. When Christ returns, death will be conquered. How does he conquer death? Verse 56 The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. What does that mean? The death of sin is death. The death, the sting of death is sin. What this means is, the cause of, sin, cause of death is sin. We die because of our sins. Remember I talked about this a couple of weeks ago? Human beings think, Death is a natural part of the human existence. The Bible says it is not part of the natural part of human existence. We were never designed to die. And the reason why we die, 1 Corinthians 15 says, is because sin entered the world through Adam. There is a direct relationship between death and the sin of rebellion that that, that, that Adam committed and subsequently all this progeny commits. There is a direct relationship between sin and death. Sin is the cause of death. That's what it means for sin, for the sting of death is sin. Sin is the cause of death. Then Paul also talks about in verse 56, the power of sin is the law. What in the world does that mean? The law here means the law of God. And Paul is saying, the power of sin, what gives sin its power, is the law of God. What? Isn't the law of God holy and perfect? Yes. The law of God is a reflection of who God is. Then how is this perfect, good law of God the power of sin? I think he means a couple of things. Number one. The law of God is a power to sin because the law of God, first of all, reveals what sin is. It draws out sin. It reveals to us what sin is. We will not know fornication is sin unless the law reveals it. We will not know adultery is sin unless the law reveals it. We will not know lying is sin unless the law reveals it. So the law of God reveals what sin is. Is, But not only does the law of God reveal what sin is, it also tells us the consequence of breaking the law, which is death. The law of God not only reveals sin, the law of God condemns us. The law of God is saying, if you don't obey in accordance to the reality that God has made, which is reflected in the law of God, if you do not live in accordance to this law, you will die. And none of us, by our nature, are able to live in accordance to God's law. Therefore, the law condemns us to death. But not only that, because of our nature, when we look at the law of God, our nature says, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. It's weird. The more you read the law of God, our nature says, let's not live according to that nature. Let's not not live according to that law. Let's live contrary to this law. The law of God also makes us not want to live in accordance to the law of God because of our nature. And that's reflected in Psalm chapter 2. The kings and the rulers and the princes of the world think that the law of God is a chain around them and they want to break free from it. Every human being is like that. We don't want to live in accordance to the law of God. The law of God reveals what God's will is, and we don't want to live like that. That's why the law of God is the power of sin. Does does that make you understand? Bible said, teacher, can you teach that on Friday? Yeah? Death's cause is sin. Death's power is the law of God. Right? How does Jesus Christ vanquish this? He vanquished death for, for his people by taking their sins and dying for their sins on the cross. The cause of sin is the cause of death is sin. We die because of sin. Therefore, in order for us not to die, someone has to take our sin and be destroyed with it. That's what Christ has done. He became our sin. God killed him. God poured his wrath on him or the wrath that our sins deserve. Therefore, when we have living faith in him, sin is no longer the dominant reality of our hearts. Do you understand? The cause of death has been vanquished because of him. Alistair Begg is a good example. He says, pretend... You know, a father and son goes on a picnic on a spring day. And there's a honeybee, right, going after the son. The son is scared. The son freaks out. The father shields his son from the bee. The bee stings the father instead of the son. and Because honeybees have only one stinger, It uses that one stinger on the father and not the son. Therefore, the bee can whiz around all it wants. It can never hurt the son ever again because a stinger has been neutralized, because the father was stung on on the behalf of his son. Really good example, right here? Death is the sting that awaits all of us. But Christ was stung on our behalf. Therefore, we no longer have to pay the, pay the consequences of our sin, which is death. Because of what Christ has done, death is no longer our destiny. It is life. Because Christ has obeyed the law of God perfectly on our behalf, the law no longer condemns us. The law becomes something beautiful to us and right. Because of Christ has done, we will be raised imperishable. Death is no longer our destiny. Our future destiny lies in the kingdom of God. That's what counts, Paul says. Therefore, in the light of that understanding, how will you live? Will you live steadfast and unmoved? Will you live, will you devote your life to the work of the Lord? Look, COVID makes life difficult, right? And oftentimes, people use COVID as an excuse not to do the work of the Lord. Paul says, let nothing move you, but we're easily moved by COVID. We can say, it is because of COVID, I'm not going to smoke. It is because of COVID, I'm not going to pray. It is because of COVID, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to serve God's people because of COVID. Paul is saying, in the light of eternity, do not be moved. Be faithful in the work of the Lord. Because what you do for him, especially during the challenging times, will not be in vain, will be remembered, will be the reason for your crown in heaven to not be moved. Let us pray. Once again, Lord, we are reminded That how we live here matters because what we do in this world matters in eternity. Father, I think as we confessed earlier that a lot of us are fixated on the perishable existence of this world. We are driven by maintaining our mortgages. We are driven by, you know, not suffering. We are driven by, you know, upward mobility. Houses, homes, jobs, they're all good things that you provide and and our family needs them to live in this world and that's true. But life is not about security or upward mobility. It's true that we are called to provide for our family. It's true. But life is more than about mere provision. It is about doing your work. If we have given excuses of not doing your work because of COVID or because we we work long hours, Father, we repent. May we not give up any excuses for not living for you. Father, may we have a greater understanding of our destiny that the treasures of this world will perish but the things that we do in your name will live forever. May that that truly be what we believe and may we truly truly live in accordance to that vision. May we not live perishable lives but may we live for the imperishable. Also give us hope the certain hope that we will not die. Lord, that all this thing will pass away and we will live forever with you. May that hope in eternity be the most certain hope that guides our lives in this world. We pray for, we have a few parents, Lord, uh, who, are, who, are, who are ailing and who are battling severe illnesses. We pray for our brothers, the parents of our brothers and sisters be in every one of their healing. If our parents who are sick are not converted, I pray that you will convert them. You will give them immortality, even though their mortal bodies are perishing. Give them the hope of eternity. Use people around their lives. Use us, Lord, to evangelize to the ailing parents so that they will see and accept Jesus Christ as Lord. For those of us, Lord, who are going through unemployment or difficult time at work, May they endure these difficult times by waiting for you and on you. May their waiting time be glorifying to you. Rather than getting dismayed or hopeless, Lord, may they wait in expectation of your deliverance. Use this time of difficulty, Lord, to to work on their faith. We pray for all the different ministries of this week. We pray for the small groups. We pray for the prayer meetings. We pray for the game nights this evening. We pray that everything done in our church in your name, Lord, be fruitful, be used to, to increase Christ in our lives. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.